Hello and welcome to another very special WrestleMania Week bonus edition of the Pipe Bomb Wrestling Podcast, a show that is for the fans, by the fans. I am your phenomenal host, Mr. Podcasting, Chris Belcher. You can follow me at Chris Belcher24 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The show is at PBW Podcast on those platforms as well. Make sure you give us a follow if you haven't already. It is WrestleMania week. A lot of fantastic content being cranked out for you. A lot of bonus episodes. Make sure you're keeping up with us, whether you're watching us on the Bodyslam.net YouTube channel listening on Sportswire Radio or wherever you find your podcast. We hope you are enjoying all of the extra content that we're giving you. Make sure you stick it, stick right here with us uh, on any of our social media platforms, any of our networks. Uh, there's a lot of great content coming your way this week. It is WrestleMania week. We are almost there. And of course, with me, um, as you're listening to this, we are on our way to Dallas um, <laughs> because it is Thursday as you're listening to this. Mr. Andy York, um, we are already lacking sleep. We are already tired and the week is just getting started, man. Yep. How's it going? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm practicing for WrestleMania weekend, I think, because we've got a lot in store, a lot planned. I don't think we have time. I don't think we've allotted any time to sleep. <laughs> while we're there at all so that's uh, I'm looking forward to it that is generally what happens and nobody knows that more than our very special guest ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the podcast one of the og hosts and creators of this shindig my brother from another mother jared justice man i know you're not going to dallas <laughs> with us this week but you can envy that we're not going to be sleeping right Oh man! Okay, so the whole podcasting show—you forgot. Oh, my, my I was bad. just getting ready to say, uh, Andy York, you are getting ready, or right now you are getting yeah. the full WrestleMania Chris Belcher experience. <laughs> there is no sleep allowed. There's no fun to be had at the moment because you're so tired and you've seen so much that it's just not fun right at that very second. But after it's all said and done, it's a great time. But, I mean, you were feeling that right now. And we're going to walk a lot, right, Jared? Oh, man. <laughs> My long, hip, I think, dislocated. As long uh, as it's not day, sleeping, we're good. 10 miles in what, like two or three hours? Something that, was, that was in August in Las Vegas. Give me a break. That was not WrestleMania. Come on. Um, but regardless, <laughs> so you can tell that Jared has a little, um, Jared's a little salty about some <laughs> of our trip. Um, that episode, speaking of that, great segue, Jared. You didn't even know you did it, but you did it. Tomorrow, oh, coming up, wherever you find your podcast, uh, all those places that I just mentioned earlier, we are going to drop an episode where Jared is going to join us, and we are going to talk about our WrestleMania memories. Jared and I went to WrestleMania 34 and 35. That's coming up tomorrow. So you don't want to miss that. It is a fun time of Jared and I telling stories about standing out in the sleet, not the rain, in the sleet in New York. And Jared's a genius who didn't wear pants. He wore shorts. Um, so we're standing out in the sleet. Then we stand out in the pouring rain and we have an interesting way back to our hotel and just, I'm not going to spoil everything. You just got to listen and watch the episode tomorrow. It's a blast. I promise. Don't miss it. But today uh, we are going to do a couple of watch alongs of some of our favorite, or at least in our opinion, 
some of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. Earlier this week, Andy and I did a show where we counted down our top 10 favorite matches. And obviously these both, both these matches were in the top five. These both of these matches are in the top five of many, many wrestling fans, publications, all of those kind of things. Unanimously. These are some of the greatest matches of all time. So we're going to watch both of them. First one that we are going to watch, ladies and gentlemen, get your Peacock Network ready. I know it's a little difficult to navigate to. So get to WrestleMania 13. Yes, we are going to watch the infamous submission match between Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So make sure you don't go to like a best of WWE. Make sure you're on actual WrestleMania 13 on your Peacock. That means you need to go to WrestleMania, go to the 13th season. I know it's difficult. Um, and find this match, the timestamp that you want is one hour, 24 minutes, and 17 seconds. So, one twenty-four seventeen. 17 uh, Jared, I'm excited to do this, man. I'm glad that this was actually your brainchild. One of the things that you texted me, you're not able to be on the podcast as regularly as you would like to due to our recording schedules and all those kind of things. But I know you texted me several weeks back and said, man, we need to do a watch-along of Brett versus Austin. So, here we are, man. We have granted your request. You're on the show. I'm glad to have you on, man, to do this. This is awesome. Yes, sir. Um, I've read so much stuff over the years and watched this match so many times that I'm going to try to actually point out as we go through this, right whenever that you can see um, the blade kind of come into play, and then you can see the blade job actually happen if you know what you're looking for. And um, you can see why that uh, Vince actually watched this match back and saw the blade job that I'm going to point out and was not happy about it. Like he, he knew that these guys, this was not hard way. And so I thought that was an interesting aspect of this is that at the time there was a no blood policy. And of course, uh, Stone Cold, you know, bleeds a gush here. So Andy, the young buck in the crew getting a first class education as we watch this match in real time. This is Andy's first watch along with us since uh, we haven't done a watch along on the show in a long, long time. So Andy, uh, welcome aboard your first time doing a watch along. I'm looking forward to it. I've, uh, I've watched this match a couple of times, but it's been a while since I've sit down to watch it again. And it's always a, it's always a good one. It's always one of my go-to of when I feel like watching old school wrestling, this is one of the first ones that I, I turn on and go back and watch. So I'm looking forward to, to sitting down and watching it again because it gets better. I think it's like fine wine. It just it gets better with age. And I'm I'm looking forward to to diving back into it and watching it again. I don't think you're the only one that shares that sentiment when you go to sit down and watch old school wrestling. This is one of the first ones that you pull up. I know Jared's about the same way. So let's get to it. I uh, wanted to give everybody a chance to find WrestleMania 13, one hour, 24 minutes, and 17 seconds. If you are not there yet, go ahead and pause this episode until you get there. I'm going to give us a countdown. Uh, we'll say three, two, one, play, and then we will get going. Uh, I got to make sure my volume is down. I told these guys before we started, make sure your volume is down, and I got to make sure mine's down. All right, here we go. Countdown in three, two. Oh, by the way, by, when you guys are scrubbing through and finding your time step, you should see the camera view should be over Steve Austin's shoulder. It should be right as Bret Hart gets in the ring. That's what you should see. One hour, 24 minutes, 17 seconds. Here we go. Three, two, one, play. All right. 
Here we go. And then uh, context for everybody for this match is we see the match starting off hot and heavy. Context for this match. Jared, I'm sure you remember this just as much as I do. The Monday Night Raw before this WrestleMania, Bret Hart gets a shot at Psycho Sid in a steel cage for the World Heavyweight title because Bret won the belt, won the vacated belt after Sean lost his smile. He loses it to Sid the next night on Raw after In Your House, and then he's trying to get it back ever since. Undertaker gets involved in the cage match. Austin gets involved in the cage match, and then Bret pushes Vince down and has his incredible rant that gets bleeped out and all this other crazy stuff. So that really set up the double turn for this. Yeah, I remember watching live, and I heard uh, Brett bust out GD, which is not something you heard at all on TV uh, right. this time. And they didn't bleep it out on USA Live. And I, I don't think they bleeped it out. Maybe they did. I don't think on the on the network, when it was still the network, that it was bleeped out. Right. But um, it's just crazy, man, that, I guess he had clearance to do it, and he just busted out basically the worst word you can possibly say on network television back whenever that was not um, something that happened very often. Yeah, I remember um, listening to Bruce Pritchard's podcast, and he said that Brett did have clearance to do that. That was something that was planned that was not off the cuff. So very interesting. You see Ken Shamrock. Uh, Andy, Ken Shamrock's first experience in the WWE is, is this match. I find it really interesting. Um, what, as, as the young bug, what kind of context do you have about Ken Shamrock and his career and kind of what that amounted to? Well, I know he, I think he had some time in MMA for yes. a while. And then I think he went to TNA for a while. I think so as well. I think, I think he, that was my was... first exposure to him was Impact Wrestling or TNA or it wasn't inside WWE, WWF. And so kind of hearing who he was and then going back and watch, I've seen some of his stuff and, you know, I'm not the biggest Ken Shamrock fan in the world, um, but I can see, you know, why the appeal was to him. Actually, going back to the the Bret Hart thing of, of Monday Night Raw and him kind of going on that tirade. Yeah. Uh, that clip has actually resurfaced on Twitter because I think this past, or as of recording, this past Monday when Seth Rollins had his big meltdown i think they said a lot of inspiration behind that was that bret hart meltdown that he had kind of going into this match so um that was pretty cool to kind of see that revisited in a more modern way obviously he didn't use the same kind of language but he uh he definitely kind of broke a lot of barriers and things like that uh this past week yeah that's very cool um i didn't realize that that had surfaced yeah uh, because of that or that was the inspiration behind seth that's really really cool, uh, Jared. We saw some we saw some legends uh, in a shot a few minutes ago as Brett and Austin were going over the barricade. Saw Tony Atlas and Captain Lou Albano sitting front row for this match. Do you remember when they used to do that for WrestleManias? They would have a legend sit in the front row. I kind of missed them doing that. That was kind of that was kind of a cool little nugget that they would throw in. Yeah, I, I do miss that, and I kind of miss like their old school, like corny celebrities that they had, like they were celebrities, but they're not really celebrities, but like everybody likes them better than the celebrities. When you're a wrestling fan, it's just cool to see this random person like Willie Nelson pop up. Um, (laughs) And this is pretty cool. I always think of this. um, You just, you just saw the wrestlers going through the crowd. Do you remember like whenever we used to go see Smoky Mountain wrestling 
and Tracy Smothers and the Dirty White Boy. Yes. They would always do basically this sequence that you're seeing. They would come up in the crowd. Tracy would start bleeding. Dirty White Boy would kick him. He would go flopping down the stairs. I would ask mom, oh my goodness, are, are they really bleeding? And she would say, no, it's just like a blood packet. They just put it on their head. It, it's fake. It's wrestling. It's not real. And now me and you looking back, we know that these guys' blood were spilled all over um, the gym there in Pikeville, and we got to see it. Oh, my goodness. Good times. I remember that very, very vividly. Dirty White Boy and Tracy Smothers had some wars, ladies and gentlemen, in the hallowed halls of Pikeville, Kentucky. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, fighting through the crowd and stuff like that, it, it's it's a lost art, really, in wrestling. You see AEW doing it a lot recently. WWE doesn't do it as much anymore, but it's a lost art because you knew, Jared, as an old-school fan, you knew when a match spilled out into the crowd, as JR would say, business was about to pick up. Yes, sir. Yep. It just, um, you know, it, it's so cool. Like I even remember back, like, like I was just talking about being in that crowd, not knowing much about wrestling, just being a little young guy, little, little toddler or what have you. And just like seeing these guys come up and they're fighting next to you. I mean, it's like whenever you go to a concert, I remember the lead singer, Papa Roach, um, I've seen them like three or four times. Seems like they're always with another band that I'm there to see. So I just keep seeing Papa Roach over and over and over. But anyways, uh, whenever that's what happened the one two, time I saw them. So, you know, yeah. And they came to Pintville and the lead singer comes up like five feet from me into the crowd and he's singing. And I'm talking about it right now. Why on earth would I have brought up a Papa Roach concert in the middle of this discussion Except for there was something big that happened right. that made me remember, and it was them coming into the crowd and being so close to the action. I believe that was the same concert that I was at. Were they opening for Avenged Sevenfold? Oh man, they've—I mean, they've opened for like three, <laughs> four people. But I've been there to see they. Yep, Avenged. That was one. Actually, I think they opened for Avenged twice, and then Godsmack, and then somebody else that I was there to see. I can't remember. That's the time I saw them was when they opened for Avenge. It was in Pikeville. Anyway, um, back to the wrestling. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, Austin just gave the finger to Ken Shamrock because Ken Shamrock asked him if he would quit. Andy, I find it really, really interesting. You and I kind of touched on this in our WrestleMania Countdown episode that this is a submission match. Technically, mm -hmm. this is billed as a submission match, but this is a no-holds-barred I-quit match is what this is. This is the really the first of their kind because in I quit matches and submission matches, we really didn't see the level of violence that we are seeing in this match. But we touched on it in our episode that Steve Austin did not find out the stipulation or rules of this match before anybody else did. He was sitting at home on his couch watching Monday Night Raw when they announced the stipulation. How crazy is that? I, yeah, that's. That's kind of insane that he didn't know about it, and especially because he doesn't like he doesn't have a submission finish. I don't know if he ever, even as like stunning Steve or anything. I don't know if he ever had like a well a signature submission move that he, he busted out. The million dollar he dream. He adopted, yeah. yeah, he adopted the million dollar dream in early '96, but we quickly realized that that wasn't working. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think by the time. Jared, he debuted in January of 96 
And I want to say by the time WrestleMania 12 rolled around and he wrestled Savio Vega, I know he used the dream in that match, but I think he had already adopted the stunner by that point. So it was very short lived. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pr- pretty sure you're right on that. And and I remember him. I don't know if it was in WCW as stunning Steve Austin or not, but I remember him always. It seems like he always used the Texas Cloverleaf in his matches. Like just, just randomly here and there. Yep. Yeah, he did use that. And then speaking of submission holds, this is one of the first times that we see this. If you're watching along with us, Bret Hart applying the around the ring post figure four. He would be famous for this move for a long time after this match. Anytime that he would try to get heat on somebody or you know come down the ring and attack somebody, it never failed. He was putting on this ring post figure four every single time. And this seems to be the uh, initial iteration of this. Uh, Jared, I think we're getting close to your... Are we getting close to your blade job here? No, we're going back in the ring. Never mind. Just kidding. So, it happens on that side of the ring. Yes. Whenever um, you'll see Brett get ready to, I think it's right after this. Um, he gets ready to throw Stone Cold into the uh, steel barricade, the old school railing. And that's when you'll see the blade job. Right. Um, so we're getting a chair. And here, man, a chair, this this is storytelling right here for you guys that aren't listening to commentary. Um, I think it's JR, is it? Yeah, JR and King and Vince. I think all three are on commentary in this match. And they talk about how that move right there where Bret Hart uh, gets Austin's leg trapped in a chair, that's what Austin used to put Brian Pillman back on the shelf. So, oh, I love it, that chair shot. So what a chair shot, man. That's insane. Um, but what they called that Pillmanizing because of what he did with Brian Pillman. Um, so great storytelling on the commentary here. JR and the King and uh, Vince are really, because like I said earlier, Vince was in the middle of the ring when Bret Hart went on his tirade and everything. And Vince in this match is trying to stay in a middle ground here. Andy, he's talking about how, Brett seems to have an attitude change, but that Brett's still the good guy that he used to be. And of course you got Jr. and the King kind of going polar opposites and really trying to convince Vince that Brett's really turned his ways. And man, that really gets over the double turn uh, towards the end. Yeah. I think, you know, just kind of sitting here though, like sitting here with no audio, if you have like no context of story coming into this, I mean, it's very, clearly kind of to me who the heel is and who the face is just by actions and by you know kind of looking at things so like without audio or anything it it seems very heavily brett being the heel stone cold being the face and it plays i mean that it plays into that double turn really really well um and it kind of you know you can see why the double turn works so well and um, i, I want to point this out yep um as a as a poor old country boy uh back on coon creek uh in Pikeville. Um, I didn't have access to pay-per-view at the time. So just to kind of give everybody out there context um, to how the times when this match happened, I didn't get to see it, but I stayed up late and stayed on the internet to read the results of this that night. Of course, I had school in the morning, but I didn't care. I always made all these. <laughs> you know, that's what I do. Um, so 
a bunch of activists events over it and they start releasing AVIs. Um, I don't, I don't know what, what the kids now call them, but it was .avi files. And these were huge files and you could download um, a clip and it would take forever. But I would sit there and download certain clips and I could see certain things that happened during the match that night. And so I remember that chair shot of whenever that um, Brett goes to the top rope. There you can see uh, the Boston Crab, another move that Austin used uh, in WCW some, I think. Um, but anyways, that chair shot, I remember downloading, downloading that as an ABI file and just watching it over and over. And I was like, oh, man, that hurts. I just watched it, you know, time and time again because <laughs> that was the only way I could see any part of the pay-per-view. And I was, you know, so obsessed with wrestling at the time that I, I, I remember watching that over and over and over and just thinking, oh, I can't wait to see this actual match someday. I can't wait to see the whole thing. As often as Jared and I talk about how close that we were growing up, you know, we were we were brothers without being blood related. I watched this match live on pay per view when it happened, um, so I apologize. <laughs> um, anyway, that lucky little bastard would always go to his dad's house or like his uh, some yep. aunt that had like one of those huge concrete satellite dishes, yes. so he could watch these pay per views. Didn't invite me, of course. <laughs> So I'm sitting at home on the internet trying to watch, you know, ABI clips three hours after the after the match happened. So thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Sure. You're very, very welcome. Uh, we saw a shot a few minutes ago <laughs> of uh, we saw a shot of Stu Hart in the crowd there. Jared, you got a good Stu Hart impression that you can bust out for us? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Brett's giving him a, giving him a hell and getting ready to see uh, the blade job, I think, right here. And yeah, Martha, I'm going back down to the dungeon. <laughs> For those of you who have never heard Stu Hart talk, that is spot on. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, here you go. This is your call, Jared. And Boom, into the rail. That's supposedly where Stone Cold gets busted. And now if you watch, um, Brett, I think at this point. He's got the blade in his hand. You can yep, tell. You can see him maneuver it right there in his hand. So now he's going to act like he's hitting Stone Cold, do the trick like Abdullah the Butcher used to do, where the, he would kind of have the, the razor and just kind of peck their head with it as he's supposedly hitting them. And boom, magically, Stone Cold is busted. Now, if you watch Brett, yep, right there it goes. Blade goes back into the trunks, um, and it's gone. And it's very obvious if you know what you're looking for. There you can yep. see the blood kind of squirting from Stone Cold's head. So it's it's legit. Now, here, here it goes again with the replay. And right there is where they were acting like Stone Cold got busted. So, and if you're watching, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can tell, if you watch, you look at my hand, you can watch Brett anytime that in that sequence, you can see that he always has something right here in his hand. Like you could tell when he was grabbing onto the table or when he was grabbing onto Austin, his hand looks like this the whole time. And, and that's, you know, he tucked that blade in there. Jared, we sound like we're such smart wrestling fans. We sound like we know what we're talking about. Well, we've watched these things over and over so many times that they say it takes um, 10,000 hours to be an expert on something. And I guarantee that we have far more than that uh, time invested in this product. Not to mention how many hours we spent watching this one match alone. Yeah. 
Um, so here starts the bloodbath. Andy, there's a no blood rule in WWE at this time, just like there is now. Um, but you know, you feel like Brett and Austin, they got away with it. They didn't get in trouble. Uh, well, I'm sure they got a good stern talking to by Vince, but <laughs> I don't, I'm sure they, there were no repercussions for this. So then blood starts coming back in. We talked about on our WrestleMania countdown episode, the bloodbath that was Shawn Michaels, Triple H and Chris Benoit at WrestleMania 20. Mm -hmm. But a little trivia for you, because I think Jared knows the answer to this. Uh, I know the answer. I wouldn't ask it if I didn't. Uh, do you know what match ultimately took blood away from the WWE? Match happened in 2008. 2008. I feel like it's the JBL Cena match. Ooh, close. Or because when I think about like bad blade jobs, yes. I think of that, and I think of the Eddie Guerrero one. Mm. Um, yes. From Judgment Both Day, I think. I think that was a Judgment Day pay per view. That that is um, the correct pay per view, but that is not the correct match. Jared, do you have a guess? Ah, I, I do not. I'm surprised you don't know this. Y'all ready? It was the um, unsanctioned match. I believe the pay per view was. I want to say it was Great American Bash, 2008. Eighty between, Nope. Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. Really. Yes, when Shawn Michaels had that, when they had, when they did the angle about the eye issue, yeah, and Jericho was going after the eye with the belt and all this other crazy stuff. Yes, that's the match. Huh. If you go look at Shawn's blood in that match, it is ridiculous. Um, so that's a fun fact for everybody that might not have known that. All right, we got a little double down here, so, Bret Hart. So, so, oh, here's a, a question. Bro. Here's a yeah. question for you. Uh -oh. Major pay per view wise. At this point, when is the last big time that you can remember seeing blood at a, a pay-per-view this big? And I'm thinking mm. WrestleMania. Sure. Um, so we're in March of 97. We're talking WrestleMania. Last one that I can think of is Ric Flair, Randy Savage, WrestleMania 8. Um, Brett bled a little bit. Did he bleed at WrestleMania 9? I don't remember uh, maybe not. I so, know I know Flair did it eight. Yes. So um, it's actually a double answer. Um, okay. because at eight you had Flair and Savage. Yes. But at the same time, you had one Brett of the Piper. involved in this, which was yep. Bret Hart against Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yep. I don't remember I don't remember if that one was hard way or not, but Brett bled a gusher, man. Yes, it, it was did. it was ridiculous. Oh my gosh. All right, if you guys are watching along with us, uh, we're going up to the top rope, looking for a oh. superplex. Nice move, really slowing the match down, really trying to um, work that crowd, and Austin is probably trying to, to gather himself. I'm sure he's in a bad way, because, Jared, if I'm not mistaken, Austin has gone on record and said he hadn't bled much, if at all really before this match actually happened. So you got to think if they're asking him to go 25, 30 minutes, he hasn't bled very much. It's probably taking a toll on him and wearing him down. He may have said that. I don't know. That's not true. He bled a lot in WCW in his run prior to this as stunning Steve Austin. Um, I can remember 
um, especially whenever he was part of uh, the Dangerous uh, was it the Dangerous Alliance. Yep. Um, whenever he was with those guys and they were doing like the war games and like um, a few other matches and he was just involved with that whole crew, um, he bled quite a bit. And if you remember right here, I think Austin also mistakenly said during one of his interviews, I can't remember which one, and he was talking about that he got busted with the ring bell. And I've heard a couple other people quote that. I don't know if they got it from Stone Cold, but I'm pretty sure he was the one that inaccurately said that about his own match. And right. so people started saying that. But that is clearly not when he got busted. Right. Exactly. Andy, we talked about this on our countdown as well. Here we come. We're coming to the finish. Brett's got Austin in the sharpshooter. We're going to sit in this for a good five minutes-ish. Um, and we talked about the bloodbath that this is and how this match would not be nearly what it is. I mean, it was. it's been a great match. It's been a fight. But the iconic image that we are about to see of Stone Cold Steve Austin trying to break out of the sharpshooter and the blood dripping down his face and in between his teeth, Mm-hmm. Man, it just it sets this up so well to really define Austin. Yeah, I think your your most like memorable WrestleMania matches have those moments that live on forever, those iconic shots that live on forever. And this this match definitely has that one. Um, you know, I, I haven't watched this match in a while and I forgot how much Austin actually bled during this match. Yep. Um, and you know, it's it's one of those things that people remember like the most prominent shots and nobody forgets this look of Austin while he's bleeding in the sharpshooter. Well, they also put it on the front of a Coliseum home video uh, yeah. very shortly after this. Uh, I think they had a censored version and an uncensored version that they released. And um, the Raw magazine and they got a shirt with that on it. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the shirt that had his face on it uh, like that. So, they, they got their mileage out of this for sure, and it shows because fans remember it. Austin is out, um, and Shamrock is going to call for the bell, break it up. This thing is over with. Brett, the hitman heart, getting the win, but Jared, as they like to say on commentary, Austin never quit. He never gave up. He passed out to the pain. Yep. I mean, that's how you take that character that they had never had um, one really like that before. So they're really kind of flying blind. But yep. they, they take this character that's, you know, a B.A., uh, you know, the BMF, and um, all of a sudden he's getting cheered. And they don't really know what to do with him because he's still a bad guy. He's still a heel. And so you need to turn him face now completely to really get the most for your money. You know, the biggest bang for your buck after what you've invested in Stone Cold. And this is just the perfect way. And they did it so perfectly. I mean, you just keep saying that word perfect, that it just worked out the best way it could. And it turns Brett into a heel at the same time which is going to be like, you know, you have your ultimate good guy, your ultimate bad guy. That's what we, that's what they set up in this match. And two people completely switched roles. Yep. It's, it's crazy. And as I said on our countdown episode a couple of days ago, this, this runs us right into probably the best run of Bret Hart's career. You know, you talk about how much Austin benefited from this. 
Bret Hart becomes a babyface in Canada and a heel in the United States. What a run that Bret had in 97 following this match. Uh, Andy, as we wrap up watching Bret and Austin again, um, like you said, you know, we, we've watched this match ourselves several times, but never as a watch along. Um, man, this thing, Jared was just talking about it, how, how natural and how perfectly it was that they were able to do this double turn and not to get too far down a rabbit hole, Andy, but it's because that's, that was the groundswell. That's what the fans wanted. Yeah. And they gave it to them. Yeah. And it, I mean, it turned out perfect. We, we said that word a lot, but it turned out perfect. Uh, the only a modern take on this that worked well in the time, but did not have the same effect, obviously, long run is, you know, I think right after Dolph Ziggler cashed in his money in the bank mm-hmm. and he was supposed to be the heel and they were going against Alberto Del Rio. And then and I forget it was the pay-per-view after. Um, they did the double turn, and it it worked sort of, but it didn't work, you know, as well because this right. is something that just is is something that's going to hold the test of time. And I mean, it it definitely pushed Austin to the next level. It, it definitely pushed Brett to the next level, um, and it gave the fans what they wanted. And you yep. know, that's kind of the point of WrestleMania is to give the fans what they want to kind of push forward into the new year that that WWE goes after. Right. So, so I've got to say this, and this is going to sound like I'm being like a, a huge douchebag to the younger fans, but so I, whenever I saw this and like being as old as I am now, and I think back and I heard Andy talk about Dolph Ziggler and Stone Cold Steve Austin, the turn of Stone Cold Steve Austin, this great masterpiece, I myself would have never thought to even put that in the same sentence. Uh, and, and that's not me trying to, like I said, be a prick or anything, but you look at like the generations and how people look at stuff like now, you know, I, I talk about, um, again, going back to music, I talk about bands at work like ACDC and the generations now don't know who that is. And for right. people who experience this and think, oh, you know, you think back so, so fondly on things um, that you look back whenever you were younger and you experienced it. And, you know, it, it's just crazy how differently the generations um, look at this uh, today. Whenever you actually watch this live every Monday um, versus whenever that you look back on it in history. It, it, it's crazy, the difference. It's definitely an interesting perspective for sure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you are just now joining us, welcome to the Bye Bomb Wrestling Podcast, WrestleMania edition. It is WrestleMania week, and we are flooding you with all kinds of great content. In case you missed it, we've talked about The Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. We fantasy booked WrestleMania. Coming up, we're going to give you some road trip stories. It's going to be a blast. We've talked all about WrestleMania over the last couple of weeks. What a time to be a wrestling fan. Thank you for joining us, whether you're watching us on BodySlam.net YouTube channel, listening to us on SportsWire, or listening the old-fashioned way on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, all of those places. Thank you for doing it. We appreciate it very much. Follow us on social media at PBW Podcast. Once again, I am Chris Belcher. I am, of course, joined by the young buck, 
Mr. Andy York, and joining us for this very special edition. Again, one of the OG hosts and creators of this podcast. Look, I'm even wearing the hoodie. <laughs> it's the whole podcasting show. Jared Justice is back with us, and we are back for round two of our watch along. We hope that you uh, got some good info and context out of Brett and Austin. Now we're going to turn our attention to WrestleMania 25. And what I think we can all agree, well, maybe Jared, just because he likes to be different. Um, but what we can pretty much all agree is the greatest WrestleMania match, possibly the greatest wrestling match of all time. Of course, we're going to talk about Shawn Michaels against The Undertaker, WrestleMania 25. Your timestamp that you want once you get to WrestleMania 25, and we'll give you a second to get there, is two hours and one minute on the dot. So no seconds, just two hours and one minute. Um, Andy, you and I did our WrestleMania countdown, and we unanimously put this one at number one. And I think anybody who hasn't watched this match in a long time is really going to get really going to get an education and see why this is the greatest wrestling match, at least at WrestleMania ever. Yeah, I. Every time I watch this match, I find something new in it that I just love and appreciate even more. Um, and you know, two of the best workers of all time, um, probably the greatest, one of the greatest, if not the greatest wrestler of all time versus the greatest gimmick of all time, um, coming together at WrestleMania for just a masterpiece of wrestling. Uh, this is wrestling at its finest storytelling at its finest psychology at its finest in ring work at its finest. Um, and you know, it's, (laughs) this is one of those that it's hard to beat and they tried to get in a year later and it didn't beat it, but it got as close as you could get <laughs> to not beating it as well. So close. And we're going to, we're going to circle back around and get Jared's thoughts on that, but we'll give you guys the countdown two hours and one minute WrestleMania 25. You should see a wide shot of the crowd. You got Taker standing on the left, Sean standing on the right. The referee has just rang the bell. So we are going to get underway again. I'll give you a countdown and we will get rolling. Here we go. Three, two, one play. All right, Jared, let's circle back and get your thoughts on this. Um, I know we like to say that you like to be disagreeable and you like to raise other sides of the of the coin and all this other kind of stuff. But do you put this as as your number one WrestleMania match of all time? And do you see it as the greatest wrestling match ever? So, first of all, what fun would the show be if I wasn't so <laughs> diagon difficult? Okay, that is a hundred percent the truth. You're right. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm the oldest one on this podcast, and I don't think I'm like an old man or anything. I'm 37, but um, you know, I I started watching at an earlier age than than either of you, and you weren't far behind me. And then Andy picked up when he picked up, and there were some years of me and you, like you were talking about on our last episode. Around 2008, you had a, a trivia question that I didn't know the answer to. Well, I was in college and doing the college thing and just got started working. So there were some years there where that my knowledge is not good at all when it comes uh, to WWE or wrestling in general. But to answer your question, if you ask me the best wrestling match of all time, I would say it's a tie. I would say the version one of this match and version two of this match. And I know that Andy just said that he didn't think version two was as good. And, man, I don't know. I, 
I can sit through either one of them, like just start watching, and before I know yep. it, the match is over. And these are long matches, man. Yep. Uh, and I don't, I can't think of any other matches I, I can think of that I can do that with. That's true. That's very true. So what we talked about on our countdown episode was that version two, we're talking about WrestleMania 26, the rematch would have been the number one WrestleMania match of all time had 25 not happened. And you compare that Jared to the two ladder matches with Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. SummerSlam 95 was a banger of a ladder match, but the only reason it's not talked about as much is because it happened after WrestleMania 10, which is the standard bearer for all ladder matches. So I think this is absolutely, um, this falls right into that same category. Um, they tried to replicate it as Andy said, and I think they got as close as they possibly could. But I mean, this night in Houston, WrestleMania 25, they caught lightning in a bottle and all of that to say they weren't supposed to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do not know this, this is a hundred percent fact. This comes from Marty Elias, who is the referee of this match, and Sean and Taker have told several accounts of this same story. They were supposed to be third on the card and only given 15 minutes at the most. They went 30 in this match, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker are who they are. So what happened backstage? was the referee, Michael Hayes, uh, Shawn Michaels, and The Undertaker were sitting in the locker room talking about this match, and The Undertaker looks over at Shawn, and he says, Shawn, how long have you been in this business? Shawn says, "Mm, 20-plus years. Taker goes, "Uh uh-huh, 15 minutes. And he looks at Michael Hayes, and he says, yeah, that's not going to work. Go get us more time. And Michael goes, oh. I'll go talk to Vince, talks to Vince and doubled their time and moved them back in the card. Andy, that's what you call pulling your weight around here and use it, using some clout as two of the greatest of all time. And it's, it's you like the mindset of where they're going to do fire undertaker and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania for going too long and right. given like a great match. <clears throat> yeah. I don't, you know, I think there are WrestleMania is one of those that it's a, I feel like it's a really hard card to book i don't think it is as much anymore because you have two nights now so you can spread things out a little bit easier but you're trying to do all of these great matches at wrestlemania and give enough time to the people that need it um and to only give 15 minutes to these two guys would have been a disservice to not just them but to wrestling fans and wrestling as as a whole right and andy what you and i talked about go ahead i'm gonna steal the mic for a second yep but because i'm afraid i'll forget this thought but um so we were talking about the great matches with uh, Sean and Razor, uh, the, the two ladder matches, and of course these two matches with Taker and Sean, uh, WrestleMania back to back. So small differences. That that's what makes these two matches different oh. from each other. Um, when you're looking at the mirror images of one another. So in the Razor and Sean match, in the second ladder match, they were told that they could not use the ladder during the match as a weapon against each other. So they had to alter that match. And and that's what makes those slightly different. Now with the Taker and Sean version one and version two, um, the only thing I really think that's different is the production 
and the value of seeing something the first time. Um, with this WrestleMania, just like, I mean, you talk about WrestleMania 34, the lighting's right, the colors are right, the production is awesome. The next year, not quite so good. I think that's the only difference in Shawn Michaels, Taker, version one and version two, is the lighting, the location, the crowd, um, and you and you can make the point that, well, now we're seeing something for the second time. And I think right. that's why so many people think that the first version is better than the second. And not to mention something that you didn't add to that, but their entrances. You know, we didn't do that as part of our watch along, yeah. but the entrances yeah. of Sean coming down from the sky and then Taker coming up from the yes. floor. Um, I know Production. I'm pretty sure pretty sure Taker came up from the floor at 26 as well, but I know Sean did not come from the sky. So again, we'll we'll say it a few more times while this match is going on until we're, you know, till we're blue in the face, really. They caught lightning in a bottle at WrestleMania 25. They really did. It was the perfect storm of all of this going on. And Andy, you got you and I have mentioned, I'll go back to this point. You and I have mentioned this several times about how the Randy Orton Triple H match felt long in the main event of this show. And then what the other match that gets lost in the weeds after this is John Cena, the big show, and Edge in a triple threat match. Yeah. A lot of people forget that. So Sean and Taker went from third on the card in 15 minutes where they would have stolen the show anyway, <laughs> bumped up to third from last instead of third from the top, given an extra 15 minutes. And now the world title matches yeah. are suffering and are forgotten because of how good that this is. So I don't, I haven't watched those two matches in a long time, full disclosure, but I would venture to say they're not as bad as we picture them to be. Because I think it's within context of seeing this match first. Yeah, I think I think that applies more to the triple threat than Triple H versus Randy Orton. Because I've gone sure. back and watched that match a couple times, and it's it's hard to get through because of how I think the story going into that should have been a match where it was like some sort of massive stipulation to continue because Triple H broke into Randy Orton's house. Randy Orton had tried to murder all of the McMahon family heading into this, and then you just had a regular singles match, and it just didn't feel. It just that part didn't work out. This this sure. match though, I don't I think it could have been the main event and gone through three hours of what we went through and still been as epic as it is today because of the two guys and catching like there are some places where some matches work, some matches, you know, won't work the same. I mean, another example of that is and I'm sure Jared will love this, is Shinsuke and AJ. Like Shinsuke and AJ tore the house down in Tokyo. <clears throat> Wrestle Wrestle Kingdom ten. WrestleMania yep. 34, not so, not so much. Right. And so I think it's just the venue, the atmosphere, all of it really plays into it. Like like Jared brought up, and this this is the perfect example of that taking place. Jared, how was that match in New Orleans, Shinsuke and AJ? Oh man, I can't I can't use the language on this show to describe <laughs> that match. It was awful. <laughs> Oh man! And I think if WWE hadn't played That's it up as a it dream match as much, I don't think it would have been received as bad. Yep. But it was not. It was nothing compared to what we were expecting. AJ and Shinsuke had so much pressure on them going into yep. that match. Not not to go down too far of a rabbit hole, but they had there was there was no way, zero no. way they were going to live up to the hype for that match. Like it, but was, it, was, like, it was like they didn't even try though. Well. 
I will, I will say, and I'm probably biased and I'm probably a little impartial, but I think the match was better the second or third, fourth time that I went back and watched it. It gets better as it goes along, but I'm not going to give it the status that the Wrestle Kingdom match got or anything like that. Um, but just like Shinsuke, if I, if I watch this third, fourth and fifth time, I mean, I would be on top of a tall building (laughs) thinking about whether I should jump. (laughs) Let's not do that. Andy, you just had a perfect segue and you didn't even realize it. So AJ and Shinsuke prior to that WrestleMania 34 match had only wrestled the one time, if I'm Mm -hmm. not mistaken. I think so. So compare that now to Shawn Michaels and the undertaker. Jared, before this WrestleMania 25 match, I can count on one hand how many singles matches that Sean and The Undertaker had going into this. They wrestled at In Your House Ground Zero the first time. They wrestled at uh, In Hell in a Cell, Bad Blood, the very next month. Then they wrestled the casket match at Rumble 98. Yes, Sean took four years off, but even when he came back after that, they didn't wrestle another singles match until this one. Well, I mean, the last time that they wrestled, just like what you alluded to, um, Sean took a bat drop onto the edge of the casket, which, I mean, I was, I would assume was not planned that he take it the way he took it. No. Nope. And he had to take four years off. If you were Sean, would you want to get back there? <laughs> <laughs> well, again... The the plan for that spot, and Sean has said it, is that Taker was supposed to backdrop him, and Sean thought he could get enough clearance to totally clear the casket, that he was going all the way over. And Sean didn't get that clearance. Sean didn't get up high enough or jump far enough or, or what have you. But all that to say, they had mended fences by the time that, that this rolled around. Oh, I just yeah. mean... I just mean that these, what Andy alluded to earlier, this is the greatest in-ring performer of all time versus the greatest gimmick of all time. And they've only wrestled five singles matches? You know, like... So, okay, in that same respect, like you said, lightning in a bottle. If they had wrestled all these other times before this match, would this have been lightning in a bottle? Or would people have been like, eh, we've seen that, eh, we've seen that. Yeah. No, I, I I 100% agree with that. I think my point is the fact that they have such good chemistry that they can literally put on the greatest wrestling match of all time and they haven't wrestled each other in 11 years. You know? Like I'm sure they've they've dabbled in some tag matches and and stuff like that between here and there. But for these two guys as highly regarded as they are in wrestling history and they've only wrestled five singles matches at big time events, Holy cow. Andy, that just goes to show you that they really are two of the greatest of all time. Like yeah, there's no you, debate. When you've got two guys that understand every aspect of the business, because some guys get like in ring work, some guys get the storytelling, the psychology, whatever. When you get two guys that have uh, a grasp on everything that it takes to have a great feud and wrestling match and whatever, it's it's going to be hard for them not to do something like this. And, I mean, they, they completely knocked it out of the park. I will say, I do think Taker got his receipt for that casket drop when he does the suicide dive in a little bit. Um, <laughs> but that's not necessarily Sean's fault as much as the cameraman's fault. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely think it's, it's, you know, when you've got two of the greatest of all time 
in all of those categories, it's it's going to be hard not to produce something magical like this. And Jared, I'll ask you this because we've gone on record. We've said that Sean's second run after his back injury, just his quality of match, if possible, has just raised. Like it's even better than it was the first time around because he's more focused on telling stories and he's more focused on the drama within the match. Whereas his first time around, yeah, he could do that, but he was more relying on his athletic ability and he had some some heavy influences outside of the wrestling business in the form of some substances. Having said that, we know that the Hell in a Cell match was great uh, between these two. It's the first five-star match in WWE since I don't remember when. But anyway, um, having said that, it's amazing. And this is not me just trying to put Sean over. It's amazing that substance abuse or not substance abuse, here comes the dive. Hang on, yep. I'm, I'm gonna pa- I'm gonna pause that for a minute. Here comes the dive. So it's funny. It's not funny the dive. Hang on. Oh gosh. Woo. Um, it's interesting to note that the guy who was supposed to catch the Undertaker, the cameraman, is actually the son of one Jimmy Superfly Snooker, the brother of Tamina. So we talk about that wrestling lineage. <laughs> that probably explains why he did not catch the Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am knocking Jimmy Jimmy Snuka, and I'm knocking Tamina. Sorry, y'all. Nobody meaner than Tamina. Mm, nobody. No, never said again. <laughs> <laughs> that's like her catchphrase thing. Oh is, my God. That's anyway, all Corey Graves says every time she shows up is nobody's meaner than Tamina. It's so wild. We see the replay. That's, of it. that's oh, another reason why I don't close. watch WWE anymore. Well, you've been saying it for a long time. Anyway, um, the point that I was going to make, Jared, was that substance abuse for Sean in his right frame of mind or not, the dude's abilities... It's just insane for him to be able to have that kind of match with The Undertaker in 97 and now to turn around and have an even better match in 2009. Like, it's ridiculous how good Shawn Michaels is. Yes. Um, And, you know, I've seen, um, I I had a very, very close friend that um, was also like a brother to me. And he had some uh, issues with uh, some uh, substances and it completely changed everything about him. And so you take that into into consideration and you think, okay, so Shawn Michaels, you you look at the, you know, the first matches with Taker, he's good. The next time he's doing moonsaults, he's doing even better, more high risks moves and hitting them. And, or at least hitting them exactly as planned. Right. Um, and I think that Sean's mind was just so much clearer that um, he it was allowing him to perform better. And also the other aspect of this is, is that around 97, whenever these guys uh, had their casket match, I think it was 97, um, Taker was kind of limited because he was still kind of the dead man, that big zombie-like character that yeah. only did so many moves. Well, by this time, he's incorporated MMA into his style. Um, he's more of an athlete instead of just like a big zombie man, like Michael Myers, who sits up after you, you know, dig on near killing. 
right? It's um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, that was you know the casket match was early '98. Their feud was late '97 to early '98. But you're right. He was he was starting to get out of that dead man type thing, but he hadn't fully made the transition to what we see in this match. So Jared, you're exactly right on that. Uh, it's really interesting. We've been talking about the comparisons between WrestleMania 25 and 26. Um, and I don't know if you guys have listened to the podcast with the undertaker that Ryan Satin did earlier, I guess, as everybody's listening to this earlier last week, but at time of recording, it was earlier this week. Um, but the podcast that Ron Satin did, he always ends his podcast with talking about their finishing move. And he asks the Undertaker who his favorite person to Tombstone is. <laughs> and his favorite person to Tombstone is Shawn Michaels. <laughs> um, and he talks specifically about the WrestleMania 26 Tombstone. He said, there was one Tombstone where Shawn made me mad. Uh, in storyline, obviously. He said, and we got a little height on the tombstone, and I didn't just drop him to my knees. We we got we got some ups, and I really planted him on that one. Um, but it's really cool to know that, like I was listening to that podcast and thinking about in preparation, I knew that we were going to do this. Thinking about in preparation for this, like, man, it is so cool, Andy, that you look at the story, and I will get Jared to weigh in on this too. You look at the story of 1998, WrestleMania 14, Sean's supposed to drop the title to Steve Austin. That's going to be his last match. And a lot of people did not know if Sean was going to go through with business as it was supposed to be because he was so messed up and granted he had a broken back. So he was in a lot of pain and he was so messed up. A lot of people didn't know if he was going to do the job. Well, the story goes, and this is true, been confirmed by all parties, that Taker sat in Gorilla with his fists still taped and basically without saying anything threatened Sean, like you better go do your job or I'm going to come out to the ring and take care of you. They went from that to now that's Taker's favorite guy to tombstone. And yeah. you could probably ask Sean that is one of his favorite opponents of all time too. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think a lot of it plays into that of the fact that like one, that's how much respect everyone had had for Taker during that time period and still has for Taker um, backstage with Sean, especially like, you know, one, I think it shows that Taker can definitely back up what he's talking at the same time. Cause that's not a guy that I would like to meet in an alley with his fist tape ready to beat me up. But also like, you know, I think it also goes to show that Sean definitely has changed his ways from that nineties run. And yep. this is not the same. This isn't even in the same like stratosphere of the same Shawn Michaels that we had in the late nineties to this point in time. Like, I think they're two completely different people in the way that they act and the way that they talk and the way that they wrestle a lot of it. And so, you know, I really think that the story tells itself so perfectly because there's so many real life implications along with it. I'm um, not just wrestling storyline, but there's so many storylines of like personal reasons going into this as well. That it just, it, it works so well and it plays so well together. Jared? Um, yeah, I think I think Sean, he's one of those guys that um, he's so good that his confidence always makes him come across as being a prick. Yep. Um, yep. But I think that back whenever he had substance abuse issues, 
um, that side of him came out um, unfiltered. And yeah. I think that this time around that we're seeing that, yeah, he's still that same cocky, arrogant Shawn Michaels. He knows he's the best. And every night he goes out there, he's going to prove that he's the best. Um, but now he's doing it for different reasons. Um, he's found uh, the good Lord. He, um, he has a purpose in, in life. He has a, a beautiful wife that he's devoted to. Whereas before he was kind of just going from woman to woman or, you know, doing, doing what have you. Um, it's just a big, big life change that Sean, um, that Sean had. And that shows you that if you get your life in order, what changes it can make in every aspect of it and your job and your performance every day included. Right. And not to mention all the people that, that, that affects around you and your relationship yes. with them and that sort of thing. Um, and this is not us trying to tell anybody that they need to change their life. That's just, that's an obvious example of somebody that literally changed their life around and how it affected their relationships with the people that they work with. Uh, one of my favorite things in this match, we talked through uh, the last ride and you could see if you watch the crowd that they were, they were bought in. They thought the last ride was it. They thought that was going to be the finish. And one of my favorite things about this match is watching the crowd and their reactions to the false finish. And in particular, when we get to the hard camera shot, you'll see there's a guy that's about, uh, he's about two thirds of the way um, across the ring from left to right. He's in the very front row. He's bald and he's got, uh, he's got a beard and he's wearing a gray WrestleMania 25 shirt, and he stands up. If you're watching, that's that's him right there. Watching him on these false finishes is one of my favorite things about this match. There's the infamous right there. <laughs> Sean kicking out of the tombstone and that look on Taker's face. Oh, I love this match so much, guys. Andy, I love this match so much. Well, this is, you know, we talked about it before of like, storytelling within the match and this is a perfect example of storytelling in the match there's some guys that know just how to find the camera and in, in the right moments and make the perfect face yes. to do things like this and taker is one of them and you know the kick out that kick out still gets me every time i still think every time i watch this it's like with the the hell in the cell match in wrestlemania 28 even into the super kick into the pedigree i know K taker kicks out i know sean kicks out there's still like a part of me that still <laughs> thinks this is it like this the match is over right here, and then every time they kick out, I still get the the same goosebumps that I got first time watching it. Jared, do you remember the first time that you watched this match? So you one of my go ahead. One of my small grievances with this match, and I'm not sure. I think I'm a little bit ahead of you all, but anyways, um, Shawn Michaels Taker picks him up. He does like a tilt a world DDT. Yes, and if you watch this, Taker's head comes nowhere near the mat. Right. It's like a, a headlock <laughs> into some sort of like reverse bulldog into Sean's armpit that Taker actually takes. And I and yes. I always it just it annoys the heck out of me because the rest <laughs> of this match is so perfect. And this is the one spot that they don't get right. Exactly. Yeah, well, I mean it's, I think it's fine. Jerry, do you remember where you were? Were you watching this match live? Um do you remember where you were watching this? Um, so I was, um, in my living room or, or no, I was in the family room. I was walking into the family room and I was talking to a girl on the phone 
And of course, you know, I want to be a big nerd and tell her about wrestling. And my, <laughs> as I walk into the living room, my dad is sitting on the left. He's watching the pay-per-view. And I tell um, this, this uh, lady or girl, whatever you want to call her, we were both younger then. But um, I said, so I'm, I'm going to predict the end of this match. I'm going to tell you what happens. And of course, she has no clue what these wrestling moves are. <laughs> but I told her it's going to be this move and it's going to be into this move. It's just crazy. I can see it. And it's exactly what happens at the end of this match. Like I predicted the end of this match live on the phone talking to a girl, sounding like a total nerd, with my dad sitting in the family room, also watching the pay-per-view. That's amazing. Uh, yep. No, we, Jared and I were not, we were not together watching this match, um, but I, we were both watching live. We were together watching 26, though. Uh, we did watch Sean's final singles match together. Uh, but I remember exactly where I were, was watching this match, watching it live, and I knew, I knew instantly Guys, at the end of the match, I knew I had watched the greatest match ever. Like I knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was the greatest match in the history of wrestling. Um, Andy, do you remember the first time that you watched this match? Do you remember anything about that? Were you recommended the match first? How did all that work since you're the young buck? <laughs> no, so during this time, like I I was watching the weekly shows. But we're in I, 2009, okay. Yeah, but I was watching the weekly shows, but I could not convince my parents <laughs> to pay for the pay-per-views. Mm. So I was the kid that was also like, this was also a more modern take of what Jared was doing because they were updating <laughs> the WWE.com more frequently than they probably were uh, during WrestleMania 13. If Chris, I remember if Chris would have just invited us over. <laughs> I love but, you both so much for that. <laughs> but I was sitting there. I was sitting watching because like, I knew it was WrestleMania night. I was sitting there watching, updating the WWE.com website to see the results of the matches or whatever. And then the next night on Raw, kind of going back and watching it. And so the first time I ever watched this match was actually when the network launched. Mm. This was actually the first match I went to go watch. Was this one. I watched this one and I watched 26 back to back. Um and from that point on, I like I just loved both of them, kind of going back to back because I knew the story heading into both of them because I was watching weekly, but I, I couldn't see the match itself. I couldn't see the end result itself yet, and so that was like the first one that I went to watch was this one right after the the network launched. That's amazing, uh, Jared. On our on Andy and I on our countdown episode, we talked about the the four WrestleMania matches in a row, the big story between. Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, 25 and 26, and then triple incorporating Triple H at 27, and then including Shawn in the Hell in a Cell at 28. In your wrestling fandom and your wrestling history that, that you have and you know all this other crazy stuff, because you remember a lot more than we do, because um, you have been watching longer than we have, can you think of something, <laughs> any kind of storyline that per, not only produced great matches like that consecutively, but lasted for like four years and meant as much as those four matches did. I mean, looking back, I guess, uh, flyer and steamboat, that trilogy, yeah. um, you had sting, you had sting and flyer. 
Um, sure. Yeah. You had Flyer and Vader. And that's basically the only ones I can think of. And those are all, I guess, WCW or NWA. That's right. the only ones that I can think of. I mean, I guess you could go back to to Hulk Andre maybe or, or Hulk and Savage, but that's about it, man. Hulk and Savage, I kind of thought Hulk and Savage too, but they, I think match-wise, they only probably had one um, really prominent one. Of course, they had Halloween Havoc 96, but I'm talking about WrestleMania 5 in 1989. Um, but that storyline was very intricate and very um, was told very well over a long period of time. Uh, I, it just amazes me that, I, yes, the matches went WrestleMania, 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 but the way that everybody was, that WWE was able to keep everybody so invested in this four-year storyline. I don't know if it was supposed to start out that way. I don't know if that was the plan. I don't think it was, uh, but it definitely was a perfect storm. Here's going to be your ending uh, that Jared called the moonsault, end of the tombstone, count it down. It seems like everybody knows that's the finish. What a match. What a match. And and I mean, I hadn't. I have no idea why that I even thought of that before it happened. And of course, anybody can say, "Oh, you know, I thought of that. I called it. <laughs> Honest to God, I did." And and I had no idea why. But um, I, I think it was the perfect ending to that match. You know, if I was booking, that's clearly what my mind thought should have happened. So uh, I mean, I I think it was excellent. Peek behind the curtain when we went to WrestleMania 34 um, at Access. I got to, they have a, a, a section there at access where you can actually call a match, put the headset on and they play a match and you get to call part of it. And I got to do that at WrestleMania. Who, who was that, who's that you called it with? It was Percy Watson, who was a commentator for NXT at the time. <laughs> and he's no longer there. That's fine. Not a big deal. Um, but, but this was the match that I selected, obviously, because it was, yes. it was available and, I got to call the ending sequence of the match and it was a lot of fun. Um, Andy, maybe you and I can put the headset <laughs> on in Dallas and maybe we'll call the ending sequence of this match. Who knows? Um, all right, fellas, the, we, we've kind of gone long on this episode, but that's what happens when we watch two of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. Uh, Andy, I'll throw to you first final thoughts on both Brett and Austin and Sean and taker. I know we, uh, we dove into that a lot earlier in the week on our countdown episode, but just going back and actually watching this with our listeners and providing context to it. Give me some final thoughts on these two matches. I mean, two of the greatest matches of all time, two of the greatest wrestling ma- WrestleMania matches of all time. I, we kind of talked about this on the countdown. It seems like the biggest stars in WWE history build themselves up and do the best at WrestleMania every single year with your yes. Sean's and your takers and your triple H's and your rocks and your Hogan's and your Austin's all of them. They seem to be on a different level when it comes to WrestleMania time, especially Sean and, and taker. Um, and they just both matches caught lightning in a bottle and they completely blew out all expectations that we were expecting. Um, and you know, two of the greatest matches of all time, four of the greatest of all time. Um, I don't think is any coincidence as well. Um, right. and you know, it's, it's going to be hard to beat. I think this year we may have a contender. I don't think it'll reach these levels. Um, I think edge and AJ is the only one that has the potential to do something this special. 
Um, well, I think they do it. I don't think it'll get that high, but I think it's I think it's something to definitely keep your eye on. Um, but you know, two of the greatest matches of all time, four of the greatest of all time. It's it's going to be hard to beat anything like this. Not to get too far down a rabbit hole, but you know, we saw we've talked extensively on this podcast about how Edge is doing some of the best work of his career, and he has no business doing it. Uh, we saw three incredible matches with Seth Rollins last year. Yeah. So if we could get three high-profile matches with Edge and AJ, I know we've said that this needs to be one and done, but I don't think anybody's going to argue if we get three big ones no. uh, with Edge and AJ, and they're as good as Edge and Rollins was. Yep. Jared, give us your final thoughts on these two matches that we've just watched, and you know, I know you go back and watch these matches quite a bit. So this is just a stroll down memory lane, but uh, give us some thoughts, final thoughts on these two. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I, I think these are these are two of the best matches in WWF WWE history. And, I, and as you all were talking, kind of saying your last thoughts, I did have one last thought as to what in WWF might be as good of a feud as far as producing several matches that we are interested in and that are just picture perfect and great and are still referred to today. And I think that would be The Undertaker and Mankind. Um, And so I think that goes to speak, again, to just how awesome Taker is, that the the only two feuds I can think of that have produced so many noteworthy, memorable matches um, both involve Taker, man. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Um, and that's why he's taking his rightful place. Sean Brett. Thing. Sean Brett, yeah. Brett, I mean, we, yeah. Brett and Austin, we just watched Brett and Austin. Brett and Austin had, had several good matches and is highly regarded as the feud that really put Austin on the map. But to your point about The Undertaker, man, that's why he's finally taking his rightful place in the Hall of Fame this year. Um, and uh, it's it's finally coming. Uh, congratulations to The Undertaker on a fantastic career. And Thank you guys for hanging with us, whether you were watching along with us or you were just listening to us uh, blab. Andy, for some reason, I had problems saying that word last <laughs> week, and I have a problem again. Um, anyway, so thank you all for hanging with us. We appreciate it. Jared, thanks for hopping on. Man, I know it, sometimes it's a chore when we have to alter uh, our times, and you know, you're not able to be with us all the time when we record. But, man, thanks for taking time out of your crazy, wacky schedule this week. Uh, and hanging out with us and, and watching these matches. I appreciate it, ma'am. Yeah, man. Had a good time, boys. Uh, look forward to doing it again. And I look forward um, to doing a podcast after you all go to WrestleMania where that, like, I interview you all and aim to get to tell me um, his crazy first-time experiences at WrestleMania and, and, and what he thinks of the whole Chris Belger. I mean, <laughs> one way, you know, one person usually gets this experience. You can't buy tickets. You just have to know this man and then go with him to get the Chris Belcher experience. And and that and that's priceless, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I'm look, I'm looking forward to seeing how everything turns out. There's so much love on the podcast <laughs> right now. There's so much love. I could feel it. For those of you who do not know me, I am not this horrible dictator type person. Okay. It's not me. I just, when I go places, I like to get there on time. And sometimes I figure out unorthodox ways to get there. But Jared, 
did we ever miss anything when and we went works. to WrestleMania? I mean, thank you. No, now, I mean, how many? I, I, I'm saying this in, in like a loving way, man. I mean, <laughs> I would not change the Chris Belcher experience. I mean, it works out great. It's just very unique. That's what it is. It's just very unique. We've lost connection with Jared, but we'll wrap it up here. We're just kind of rambling. Andy, you get the Chris Belcher experience this weekend in Dallas. Uh, I know you're excited. I'm very excited. Uh, we are excited to hit WrestleMania this weekend in Dallas. If you're listening to this, we are just a mere 48 hours away. Andy and I are on our way to Dallas right now. And make sure you follow along with us on social media at PBW Podcast. We're going to post all about our trip. We're going to record while we're there. We may even have some surprises while you're there. You never know. Uh, we're going to post about those things. Keep it right here wherever you listen to your podcast on the Bodysome.net YouTube channel and on Sportswire Radio. Thank you so much for checking us out today. For my brother from another mother, Jared Justice, the young buck, Mr. Andy York. My name is Chris Belcher. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on the Pipe Bomb Wrestling Podcast. We will catch you guys down the road.